This is a, actually a really interesting passage. I, as I was reading it this week, I, I, uh, I don't even re- didn't even remember this story. I know I've read it before, but it's a really interesting passage, and there's a lot to kind of work through, but I think when we get to the end of it, I think there's some really interesting things to, to look at today that can uh, impact our lives. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1 says this, And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, the son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. When the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him. His hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down. The ashes were poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. The king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. The man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived at Bethel, and his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his sons showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came up from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you and, I, and go in with you, neither that will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord, you have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, It is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word that the Lord has spoken. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave and they mourned him saying, alas, my brother. 
And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall come to, surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places from among all the people. Any who would, he ordained to be priests of the high places. And this thing became a sin to the house of Jeroboam, so as to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. So several years ago, uh, my grandmother was not doing very well. Um, she was kind of in the last stages of her life. We knew that she wasn't going to live very long. It's in the hospital, and I was at seminary, and so I would uh, check in periodically uh, with my parents and see how she was doing. And um, for, I didn't hear from them for a while, so I sent them a text. I said, how's grandma doing? Uh, to which they called me and said, um, didn't, didn't you hear? We, we sent you a message. Grandma you know, passed away. It's like, I, I didn't receive that. I didn't, I didn't know about that. So then a couple days later, uh, I think it was actually maybe at the calling hours, I get this text message from my mom or dad, I don't remember which one, that said, Grandma just went home to be with Jesus. It's like, I, I figured that out by now. But the thing that I always wonder is, like, where was that text message? Like, it took three days to send. Like, where was it hiding that it took three days to get to my phone? You know, there's messages that are kind of all around us that we don't see. For example, you know, if you're texting right now, maybe you're texting something like, sermon's getting boring, wonder how long this one's going to go. <laughs> and, and then this message is sent out into the air somewhere, we don't see it, and then it's received by the person you're sending it to who happens to have a phone. And then we have Wi-Fi here, and you think about, you don't see it, but it's in the air. And through that Wi-Fi, there's videos uh, and, and sound that's being transmitted through Facebook on our website, and, and we don't see any of that, but it's here. It's in this room being sent out. You could access it with a computer or a phone. You know, and we have all these messages that are being sent to and fro, all these images and videos and sounds but we don't always hear them. We don't always access them. But if you have the right device, you can hear those messages. You can see those messages. If you have the right device, you can listen to the radio, listen to music. There's always things being communicated around us, but we don't always receive those messages. For example, sometimes I'll not know something and my wife will say, don't you remember we had a conversation about this? And sometimes I'll be like, no, don't remember any of that. And sometimes I don't doubt that we had that conversation, but for whatever reason, it just didn't register. I don't remember that conversation. You know, and you know, I don't know if you've ever had this happen before. I'm sure you have, but like you're watching TV and you're watching through the commercials and you're just kind of sitting there staring and you're, you know, seeing the, the images, you're hearing what's happening, but you're not thinking about it. It's not registering with you. And if someone were to tell you, like, what's, what's this commercial about, you may not even be able to tell them. Uh, marketers say that it takes seven touches, kind of seven encounters, for it to kind of register with you. Because there's messages that are being sent, but we don't always hear them. We don't always listen to those messages. 
Uh, there's a story that's told, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a story about Franklin Roosevelt, and he would have lots of visitors that came to the White House to see him, and he was really frustrated. He felt like people didn't really listen to him and hear what he had to say. They were just so in awe of being in the White House and meeting him that they didn't care what he said. And so one day he decided he was going to have a little experiment. He had this big line of people who were meeting him, and he decided he was going to kind of murmur uh, and say it not real clearly, but he was going to say, this morning I murdered my grandmother. And so he did that, and he said it to, to each person, and the responses were incredible. They were like, oh, good job, you're, you're doing great, we're so proud of you. And nobody got it until one of the last people was the ambassador to Bolivia, and he understood what he was saying, and he leaned over and whispered and said, well, I bet she had it coming. See, there's messages that are being communicated all around us, but we don't always hear them, and we don't under, always understand them. Uh, in the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, one of the first things we learn about God is that God is a God who communicates. He's a God who speaks. Look at what it says in Genesis 1, verse 3. It says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, he could have just snapped his fingers and created light. He could have just snapped his fingers and created our world but instead, he spoke the world into existence. It was act of communicating. The act of creation is an act of God communicating. When you see a snow-tipped mountain, when you see a beautiful beach, when you see a sunrise, it's communicating something about who God is. It's communicating the greatness of God. Uh, when you see the intricacy of a human body, how everything works together, it, it speaks of the excellence of God. And so the, the whole creation is communicating something about God. Uh, the psalmist says that in Psalm 19, 1-2. The psalmist writes, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So from the beginning, God is a God who communicates. He communicates through his creation, but he also communicates personally with his creation, with the people that he's made. Uh, in the book of Genesis, we see that God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He communicates with them uh, as a friend would communicate with his friend. He talks to them plainly. Uh, as you know, time goes on, they're, they're ex expelled from the Garden of Eden, but God can, continues to communicate with his people. He speaks through Moses, which is kind of the first prophet. And, and he, makes a, he enters into a covenant relationship with Israel and speaks through Moses and speaks the law. And then later he speaks through the prophets who communicate God's word and God's will to his people. So God is a God who communicates, but his people are not always necessarily listening. So with that kind of background, we get to 1 Kings chapter 13. And so a little bit of uh, kind of the history of what's happening here, a little bit of context. Uh, we talked about how Solomon was creating this temple and how Solomon kind of strayed from the, the, the will of the Lord. And then his son takes over. His son's name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam makes some really poor decisions. Uh, the people come to him, and they want just kind of some relief from the burdens that they're experiencing. And he gets some bad counsel and basically says, I'm going to be a lot harder on you than my father was on you. And because of that kind of foolish decision, uh, many people in Israel kind of go and, and they form a, a separate uh, nation. And uh, there's a different king named Jeroboam who they kind of rally under. 
And so the, the kingdom gets split. Uh, Rehoboam is kind of in charge of the, the, the tribe of Judah. And Jeroboam is in charge of all the other tribes. And so there's this split. And Jeroboam, the king of the other tribes, not Solomon's son, uh, he's the king of the other tribes, he realizes something. Again, God has just initiated this temple to be built. Solomon built this temple that was in Jerusalem, and this was kind of becoming the, the prime place for Israel's worship. And Jeroboam thinks to himself, well, if, the, if my people are going to Jerusalem and worshiping in Jerusalem, worshiping in this other person's kingdom, eventually maybe this other king is going to turn their hearts away from me, and I'm going to lose control. And so what he decides is he's going to kind of create his own brand of worship. He creates his own places to worship so that the people wouldn't go to Jerusalem. They wouldn't go to the place that God had kind of set up to meet with people. And so he sets up high places. He sets up a, uh, a temple in Bethel. He creates these idols, these calves, golden calves. And he says, these are the, the gods who brought you out of Egypt. And so he sets all of these cultic things together and all of these different rituals uh, to kind of be a new kind of religion. And so he leads the people away from the true God. And so this prophet, in the, in the text it calls him a man of God, is sent to Jeroboam. This man of God is from the kingdom of Judah under Rehoboam. And he's sent to Jeroboam to kind of confront him about his sin, confront him about the fact that he's leading the people in idolatry away from the Lord. So this man of God comes to him and tells him, because of what you do, have done, this temple, this altar to false gods is going to be destroyed. Now, Jeroboam doesn't like to hear that. And so he reaches out his hands and tells his guards, seize him. And as soon as he reaches out his hand, his hand starts to wither away. So he starts to freak out and he calls on this man of God and says, call out to God and, and make it so my hand is healed. And so this man of God does that. He calls out to God and his hand uh, is restored. And uh, then after that, Jeroboam says, well, I want to reward you for what you've done. I want to reward you for the fact that you restored my hand. So come into my house and, and, and eat with me and, and enjoy yourself. You can go on your way in the morning. Look at what, how he, the, this prophet responds in verses 8 to 10. He says, if you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so was it commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. So he's given this command by the Lord. The man of God, this prophet, was given this command by the word of the Lord. Don't eat. Don't drink anything. Don't go... Uh, don't even come back by the same way that you came. Just go, give the message, and then just come back a different way. Now, we're going to talk a few, in a few minutes about why that specific command was given to him, but that was the command that was given to him. So then he goes on his way, and he's headed back to the kingdom of Judah. And then this other prophet, we'll call him prophet number two, hears about what's happening. Here's about what the first prophet had done and prophesied. And so he decides he's going to come out and meet this prophet. We don't know his motives, but prophet number two goes out and meets prophet number one. And he says, hey, come on in, eat with me, stay the night with me. At first, 
the prophet refuses. The prophet number two says, well, I'm a prophet, and I've heard the word of the Lord, and basically the Lord has told me it's okay for you to come in and eat and stay the night with me. Look what it says in verse 18. He says, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So eventually, prophet one gives in to prophet two's uh, request that, that he'd stay in his home. And then after, the next morning, prophet number one goes out, and a lion meets him on the way, kills him, and later they find his body standing beside that lion and then the donkey that he was riding on. So it's kind of a bizarre, complicated story, but I think there's some things that are really significant in this story. Um, I think it shows us three things. I think it shows us first uh, two ways that we can disobey and one way that we can obey. There's two ways we can disobey. The first way that we can disobey is by defiance. That's the, that's the way of Jeroboam. Uh, God was very clear in the Old Testament law that the people of Israel were not to follow after other gods. God had set up this temple in Jerusalem to be the place where uh, it was kind of the center of Israel's worship. And yet Jeroboam, all he's concerned about is maintaining control, maintaining power. Doesn't care about serving the Lord. And so he openly defies the word of the Lord, constructs golden images, these calves to, for the people to worship so he could maintain power. And even after the prophet comes to him, warns him about what's going to happen, he doesn't repent. In verse uh, 33, it says again, after this, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil ways. He just continued on the way that he was going. He didn't care what God wanted, didn't care what God said. He was going his own way, going on his own path no matter what. It's this idea that God says one thing, and we're just like, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. So that's kind of the first way, the, the more simple way that we can disobey. Uh, but the second way that we can disobey is more complicated, and that's the way of prophet number one, and that is the way of compromise. Again, the command that he was given was not to eat or drink on his journey and to go back by a different way, not to go back by the same, on the same path that he had gone on. Now, again, we don't know for sure why God gave him this command. Uh, but the first command, not to eat or drink, it may have been uh, in that day and age to eat and drink with someone was just kind of, it was a deeper thing than just kind of having a meal today like we have today. It was kind of a sign of fellowship, often a sign of acceptance. And so in this kingdom that this prophet is going to, the, the kingdom of, of these 12, 12, uh, 10 tribes um, of Israel, uh, there's a lot of idolatry going on. There's a lot of uh, people who are turning away from the Lord. And so perhaps God didn't want this prophet to go into the homes of one, of one of these people so that his heart would not be turned astray, that he wouldn't be tempted by uh, these other these false prophets. Then why didn't God want him to go back on the same path? Again, we don't know for sure, but perhaps, you know, People had followed him along the way, seen the way that he had come, and maybe they didn't like his message. You know, it may have been for the prophet's safety so that he goes back by a different way so that someone isn't waiting along the way to harm him after he's given such a message. We don't know for sure why it was given, but God gave him this command. And on the surface, it seems a little bit harsh what happens to him, that he gets eaten by a lion. Uh, but we see kind of the road of compromise that this prophet is on. <clears throat> we see, <clears throat> excuse me, 
We see at the beginning, when Jeroboam invites him into his house, he says emphatically, the Lord commanded me not to do this. He says, the Lord commanded me, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. But look in verse 17, what he says. Look what he says when he's responding to the other prophet. He says, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. At first, it's a command of the Lord. Then it becomes just something that the Lord said. See, when we start walking down the road of compromise, what often happens is that things that are sure becomes things that are not quite so sure. Commands become sayings, become suggestions. At the beginning of this journey, he probably wasn't very hungry, probably wasn't very thirsty, probably wasn't very tempted by the king's request, the king's invitation. He had a full belly. He had just come on this journey. But then on the second and the second request, after he had gone to the king, after he had worked up an appetite, after he was thirsty, it was a lot more tempting. And so it start, he starts to walk down that road of compromise. It's command, then it becomes a saying, and then eventually he gives in. The command becomes a little bit more unsure. I think we all can do the same thing. In the, in the face of strong desires, sometimes what we thought was sure, what we thought we believed, becomes a little bit less sure. We see this back in the Garden of Eden. Remember, uh, God gave this command to Adam and Eve. You can eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden except for one tree, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And if you eat from it, you're going to die. What does Satan come and do? Satan comes and he starts by sowing a little bit of doubt. He says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the, in the garden? Of course God didn't say that. They could eat from any tree except for one. But Satan says that because he's trying to sow a little bit of doubt in their mind. What did God actually say? What did God actually mean? What were God's motives? He goes further in the text. Satan says, you're not going to die. Again, sowing that doubt. Maybe God is keeping something from you. And Adam and Eve, they look at the tree, look at the fruit, and they're like, well, it does look pretty good. And maybe God didn't really mean that. Or maybe, maybe we won't really die. Maybe God is trying to keep something from us. And Satan does that. Satan comes and he gets us when we're vulnerable. He gets us when we're vulnerable, and he tries to make the sure word of God unsure. And he tries to get us to question that. This often happens in, in the world of sexual ethics. Someone maybe believes having sex outside of marriage is wrong. But, you know, in the moment, it's nice. And you know, after all, isn't God concerned that we love each other? Isn't that all that he's concerned about? You know, some, someone may believe that homosexuality is wrong, but maybe they have a friend who's homosexual, and then they're like, well... Maybe God didn't really mean that. Someone maybe believes that adultery is wrong, but then they're like, well, if you saw the way that my spouse treats me, I'm only doing what I need to do. Satan comes when we're vulnerable, and he tries to get us to question the sure word of God. That's what he did with Jesus. Remember, he comes and tempts Jesus when he's fasting, when he's hungry, when he's thirsty. Tried to get him to doubt 
the word of God. Tried to get him to doubt his identity and who he was and what God had made him to do. Of course, we know Christ passed that test. Uh, one thing I struggle with, I always struggle with, is eating healthy. And if I'm trying to eat healthy, let's say I'm going to a party, and I have to, the only way I can be successful is if I have kind of a game plan in my mind. It's like, okay, I'm going to go there, I'm going to have a big plate of salad, and I'm going to have one piece of pizza. I'm not going to have any cake, I'm not going to have any ice cream, that's it. And if I go there and that's my goal, and I'm like, all right, load up the salad, grab one piece of pizza, then I'm done. I can be successful that way. But if I go and I'm like, well, let me just see, what, see what's here. Let's see how hungry I am. See how good everything looks. And then I go there and there's like macaroni and cheese and potato salad and french fries, pizza. And then I'm like, oh, I'll have a little bit of this. I'll have a little bit of that. And next thing you know, I don't eat any salad. And I'm like, well, I should probably not have any cake or ice cream. But after all, I mean, I already ate all this. What's the use? Well, let me just see, like, what, let me see what flavor it is. Maybe, maybe it's something I don't like, which is kind of impossible. But then I'm like, oh, it's my favorite, favorite cake, favorite ice cream. I'm not going to turn that down. If we don't know what God has said, if, if, if the word of God is unsure to us, when we get in that moment of temptation, we're always going to give in. We're always going to give in to that temptation because our desires are strong, and in that moment, those desires are going to win. And the only way we can win is if we're sure. If we stand on the foundation of the Word of God, if we've resolved before we face the temptation what God has said and the fact that we're going to stand uh, strong in that. So that's the first way, uh, the first thing that happens uh, on his road to compromise. Uh, the second thing that happens is uh, the other prophet, prophet number two, tells him that he's received a word from the Lord. You know, again, the prophet, prophet number two says, uh, I've, I've talked to God too, and God told me, it's okay for you to come in. It's okay for you to eat. Enjoy yourself. Now, again, on the surface, first time I read this, I'm like, isn't that kind of harsh? I mean, prophet number one, he didn't know that this other prophet was lying. I mean, how would he know? Maybe he thought it was a word from the Lord. But again, if we look at the situation a little bit closer, we find that he's far from blameless in this. See, remember who this prophet number two, he's engaged in this idol worship. Remember why prophet number one came to the, the, to the nation that Jeroboam was leading, nation of Israel. He came because of idolatry. He became because Jeroboam was creating this kind of rival religion. And these prophets are kind of going along with that. And so why would he believe something that this kind of false prophet would say? Why would he believe something that this person that was engaged in idol worship would say? I mean, it's like asking an alcoholic if it's okay to have a drink or going to a car dealership and talking to a car salesman and asking them if it's a good idea for you to buy a car. I mean, you know what answer you're going to get. And so he's far from blameless in this. He probably has an idea that this isn't truly a word from the Lord. He's received a word from the Lord, and yet this false prophet gives him a word. But see, the thing is, he's 
in such a place that he wants to believe it to be true. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He wants to rest. And so even though he knows it's not a good idea, even though it's not coming from the right source, he wants with all of his heart to believe that this prophet is speaking the words of God. And so he believes it and he gives in. See, when we want to engage in sin, sometimes we seek out the wrong counsel, anyone that will tell us what we want to hear. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, Paul writes this, <clears throat> For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, if there's something that we want to be engaging in, there's always someone you can find who will confirm what you want to hear. And if we're not concerned, if we're not focused on hearing from the Lord, we'll go and find anyone else to confirm what we want to do. And that's what happens here, I believe. This prophet, prophet number one, he wants to disobey the word of the Lord. He wants to eat, he wants to drink, he wants to stay there. So he's looking for any confirmation that that's a good idea. And it leads him into sin. Scholar Peter Lightheart writes this. Always the church's greatest tests come not from kings who call for imprisonment and torture. Christians relish martyrdom. The great tests arise from lying prophets, from wolfish bishops and priests, pastors, and preachers. So there's two ways we can disobey. The first way we can disobey is by defiance. That's what Jeroboam did. You know, kind of just going his own way. He doesn't care what God says. Again, the second way that we can disobey is by compromise. Compromise by just kind of taking that first step towards sin. Making the sure word of God something that's unclear, ambiguous. Listening to the wrong counsel. Finding people around us who will confirm our viewpoint. So that's the two ways to disobey. But there's only one way that we see that we can obey. Let's look at the characters again at the story. Let's look at the characters. Jeroboam, he's going his own way. Then you have prophet number one. His problem is he's not faithful. Doesn't listen to the words of the Lord. The Lord tells him to do one thing and he goes astray. And then there's the other prophet. Prophet number two. Well, prophet number one is not faithful. Prophet number two is not true. He says he's speaking a word from the Lord, but he's lying. He doesn't speak truth. He's a false prophet. Then there's another character in the story. The other character in the story is the lion. Now, what's interesting about the lion in this story is the lion comes and he kills the prophet. And then the next day, the other prophet goes out and he finds the dead body of the prophet, the donkey that he was riding on standing next to them. Now, what's interesting about that is when lions kill something, they eat it. He doesn't eat the prophet. doesn't eat the donkey that's standing right next to him. Again, remember the command that was given to the first prophet. The command was that was given was not to eat. He fails. He's not faithful to that uh, command that he was given by the Lord. But the lion, the lion was faithful to that command. The lion was standing there and wasn't eating, wasn't uh, partaking of that. The prophet didn't keep the command, but the lion did. Later in the book of Revelations, Jesus 
is referred to as the Lion of Judah. He's referred to as the one who's faithful, the one who's true. Whereas the first, faith, the first prophet was not faithful, Jesus was faithful to the point of death. Whereas the second prophet was not true, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Where these prophets fail, Jesus succeeds. Where these prophets fail, the lion succeeds. The word of God was made flesh to show what God is like and what God would ask of us. In John chapter 1, Jesus is referred to the word of God, the communication of God that shows us who God is like, what God is like. Hebrews 1, 2 says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Jesus is the true prophet. The one that this passage points to, the one that our hearts long for, the one who is both faithful and true. And the only way that we can obey is by listening to the words of the true prophets, the words of Christ. God has spoken and he continues to speak today. He speaks through his Holy Spirit, through the scriptures. But the question is, are we listening? Are we listening to the word of God? Some of us are not listening and obeying the word of God because we don't hear the word of God. If we're not reading God's word, if we don't know what's in God's word, if we're not hearing the word of God preached, then we can't listen, we can't obey. So there's a problem there. But others of us, maybe we do read God's word. Maybe we do read God's words uh, preached, spoken. But we're not truly listening. We read, but we don't obey. Maybe we're listening for our own comfort. Maybe we're just listening to just kind of have our own ideas confirmed. And we only go to those passages in Scripture that make us feel good. Anything that's challenging, anything that's convicting, we just kind of pass by the wayside. There's a story about a Broadway producer named Jed Harris, and he was becoming convinced that he was losing his hearing. And so he went to an audiologist, and this audiologist pulled out a gold watch. He says, can you hear this watch ticking? He said, yeah, I can hear it pretty clearly. The audiologist said, well, how about now? And he walked towards the door, to the edge of the door. And Harris said, I can still hear it. The audiologist walked a little bit further, walked outside the room, said, can you still hear this? Harris said, I can still hear it. To which the audiologist responded, well, I think I've discovered your problem. There's nothing wrong with your hearing, you just don't listen. I think our greatest need today is that we would listen and obey, listen to and obey the true prophet, the one who's called faithful and true, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who conquered sin and death for us. See, that's the only way that we can be, that we can be obedient to God. The only way that we can be pleasing to God is if we listen to his voice. If his voice is the greatest voice in our lives. So God is speaking. He's spoken to us through his son. He speaks through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us if we're believers. The question is, are we truly listening to his voice? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're God who speaks, that you've spoken through creation, showed us who you are through the things that you've made. We thank you also that you speak personally to each of us. 
that you've spoken to us through your Son. Lord, help us to be people who listen to your voice. People who obey. People who take you at your word. People who rely on you as the firm foundation. Lord, help us not to go astray, either by the way of defiance or compromise. Lord, no matter, what, no matter what we're going through, no matter what temptations or trials we're experiencing, no matter how vulnerable we may feel, may, us, may we trust in your sure word and be obedient to you in all things. In Christ's name I pray.